Father, thank you that you have made provision for us in your word and you have brought us close through your son and you've given us your spirit and we just want to walk in the plan that you have and we ask that you would meet us in this moment and shape us to that end. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you uh, like to take notes, let me give you two little phrases right off the bat and let me point you to Ephesians chapter five which is where we'll be looking in just a moment. If you're using the Bible from the back there that we provide, which, by the way, you're welcome to take that with you. We'd love for you to have that as a gift. It's on page uh, 919. Um, I've got two items up here as little visual reminders, a clock and a compass. And um, if you'd like to take notes, here's the two phrases that'll hold the thoughts together. I need to set my clock to kingdom savings time. Okay, set my clock to kingdom savings time. I need to set my compass to kingdom purposes. Um, I'm, I'm kind of old school. I like an analog clock. I think it looks better. I also like it because uh, when you have a digital clock like I have on my phone, it just is interested in this moment right here, right now, and only that. Just tells me this. Um, This gives me an orientation, where I've been, where I'm going. It gives me a sense of motion through time, and I think um, there's some value in that we're going to see in just a minute. Uh, A direction in life is a really critical question, too. Where am I going, and how am I going to get there? Those are the kinds of questions that this morning's passage deals with. As I was uh, thinking of and preparing for this passage, I was drawn to uh, Samaritan's Purse website. They have uh, fairly recently started ministering to people at the border, um, you know, in Texas, New Mexico, and so on, and then over in Mexico as well. And uh, it's interesting to me, actually it's more than that, it's, it's downright heartbreaking to me to read the responses that people have given Um, because here's this Christian organization that's trying to meet needs, and the speech is just horrible. It's horrific. It's it's people essentially saying, I hate you because you're helping those people. And some of those, I don't know anyone's heart, but some of those people at least claim to be believers, and I just think, "How, how do we get there? How could we get to a place like that? Samaritan's Purse isn't making a political statement. Right, the political issue of what to do at the border is its own gnarly thing. But there's people who have a need, and Samaritan's Purse said, we've taken our name from one of the stories Jesus tells, one of the most important stories, because when he's asked, what's the most important thing you can do? He says, love God with everything that's in you, love your neighbor as yourself, and someone says, what does that look like? And it looks like this. It looks like loving people, whether they make sense to you or not, whether you connect with them or not, whether you like them or not, whether you're a Samaritan helping a Jew or not, help them show compassion. That's where their name came from, and that's what they're trying to do. And... um, and, and people are pushing back, and the things they're saying in their pushback are not only hurtful, they're just, they're wrong, right? They're saying things that are untrue, like, these people are lawbreakers, patently false. Samaritan's Purse has made it really clear the people on this side of the border are those that have been cleared by immigration to be here, which means, by definition, these are legal immigrants, and we're trying to help them. Those on the other side of the border are just people who have massed on the border. They haven't broken any laws. We're not helping them across the border. They just have needs. And we're trying to meet those needs. And as to who should or shouldn't come, that's somebody else's question. We're just trying to love people in Jesus' name. 
And the response is, um, there's not a lot of evidence of that uh, humility that comes with being poor in spirit. And it's really, really hard to hear the voice of mercy above the rant. And the um, idea of being a peacemaker doesn't seem to be on the horizon anywhere at all. It, it really breaks my heart uh, because I, I just think, wow, if the salt has lost its saltiness, then the whole world will rot. And here's a, a live issue in our world right now that's complex and contentious. And what to do politically is a whole different question. But there's this irony that really strikes me and also breaks my heart that at least some who claim to follow Jesus are trying to use power as their main tool to deal with an issue that is primarily moral. And those whose morality we would completely disagree with in many cases are taking the moral high ground. Not just in this issue, in so many issues. I just, it just strikes me as how did that happen? How did we get there? What, what does it look like in my heart to get confused and turn sideways? Right? The political question is its own issue. But the morality is really clear, and what Jesus would want from me as his follower is actually pretty clear. People are saying things like, not my problem. That's exactly what the, the Good Samaritan says. The person in need, I need to show them love. That's where, the, that's where the call is. And yet, that gets dismissed and shoved off to the side. But that's the world you and I live in. That's the world you and I have to figure out. How do I actually live for Jesus when there's all these voices coming at me from so many different directions? How do I figure it out? That's just one issue. I mean, it can, it can, it can saturate all kinds of things, right? Uh, I'm in a life phase right now where um, looking at what's the next phase supposed to be like and how do I get ready for that? Because if you wait until you're there, you're not gonna be ready. And we were talking earlier and just backing up from our uh, plan, right? And saying, okay, wh what do we need to do to be faithful and good stewards so no, we don't have to be dependent on anyone, that kind of thing. And suddenly the idea popped up, wait a minute, where did this law come up that seems to be so prominent in Christian circles that a good steward owns his house clear and free by the time they retire? I, uh, I've read this through many times. I don't see that in there. Now, I actually think that's a good idea. By God's grace, I hope to do that. It makes sense, right? There's a plan that we want to pursue but somewhere gets smuggled into my Christian worldview, these other things, right? It happens in our parenting. When things that are truly biblical get added onto by a bunch of other stuff or sometimes pulled away from. It happens in our career path and the choices that we make in our relationships, right? There's so many voices that come at us from so many different directions and we have to be really attentive because the world is more and more complex more and more contentious, and it's more and more important that as the people of God, we actually be able to understand what is God calling me to do, and how do I move forward in that? And that's what this morning's passage is all about. If you have Ephesians 5 open, let's just start reading it in verse 15. Look carefully then 
how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This passage unfolds with a call for us to be very careful how we live because this is a messy world and we're supposed to march to the beat of a different drum and we have to be really attentive to know what that looks like especially since sometimes in the unfolding of life, there may be multiple options about what I actually do, but where I start is always in the same place with God, his perspective, his will, his work, and that's what gets tugged out of line so much, and that's why Paul brings them to this place. And he's saying, guys, I want you to be particularly attentive so that as you have these grand understandings of who God is and what he's done and what he offers you, it gets really concrete and practical. Moment by moment, you're able to make choices the best you can in a way that reflects God and that honors God, and that requires you to be attentive. And he gives us three contrasts, right? He gives us three contrasts that kind of unfold how we walk carefully. Don't walk as the unwise, but walk as the wise. Verse 15 Do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 17, don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, give careful attention to how you live in this world. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not foolishly, but understanding God's will. Not with a wasted, drunken life, but filled with the Spirit. That's what I need to take all that God is doing and then bring it into concrete reality in this moment to figure out what do I do in this situation? How do I respond to this person? What choice do I make moving forward? And a whole array of things. Now, we've looked actually pretty extensively at that third point. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. And so I'm going to summarize that briefly and point you back to that message, not to minimize it, because if I had to pick only one to focus on, that's actually the one I would do. But we've spent a ton of time on that. If you were here, you may remember I wore the goofy hat and had the big long rod in my hand, and I said, here's what this is actually saying. This is a command to be continuously controlled by the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Spirit is not that I get more of the Spirit, but the Spirit has more full control of me. And I'm being commanded to have something happen to me that is outside of my control. So I've likened it to being commanded to go be struck by lightning. I can't make that happen. But it is the nature of lightning to strike in certain places and certain circumstances. And if I go put myself in the place where lightning strikes and I put on a metal hat and hold a big long metal rod, guess what's going to happen? And being filled with the Spirit is kind of like that. I can't make it happen, but there's places and settings, and it's the Spirit's nature, if you will, to strike. So go stand where the Spirit's going to strike and put on a Spirit hat, and a Spirit stick can hold it up and let him strike. 
That's the idea, and there's a, there's a number of components to that. If you read the, the larger context of Ephesians, it starts by just asking and praying and saying, here I am, God, fill me. I'm offering myself to you. And then it gets really specific in this passage. It talks about worship, it talks about fellowship, it talks about submitting to and serving one another. That's all part of the deal. And that is the thing that underpins it all. When we sang that song, you called me out on the waters, I can't walk on the water. The water will not hold me up. Only the power of the Spirit of God will hold me up. And he's calling me to do that all the time in things large and small, in things dramatic and quiet. He's calling me beyond myself. The Spirit filling me has to be the defining reality of my life. And I would just point you back. You just log on to our website. Look up the series on, on the Holy Spirit, which we did the first half of this year or so. And there, that message is in there, and you can listen to that in detail. And I really encourage you to do that. With that in place, I want to focus on these other two, because we haven't looked at them before. And they actually really overlap in some key ways and kind of co-interpret uh, or co-expand on each other. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's where these two phrases come in. Set your clock to kingdom savings time. Set your compass to kingdom purposes, right? Set your clock to kingdom savings time. That's verse 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We live in a world where things are shifting. And that creates some dynamics that we have to be able to navigate. And what's shifting is the evil day is passing but has not yet passed. From the time Adam and Eve sinned until the present and until Jesus comes back, there's a certain evil cast to life. Everything is not as bad as it could be by any stretch, but everything is bent away from God and lots of evil erupts all the time. And things are skewed. That's one of the reasons it's so hard for us to navigate sometimes. And when things get particularly emotional for us, we have a harder time boiling it down and seeing what really is at stake because so many things are competing. There's all these different narratives, all these different ideas that are out there. And at the heart, what we need is God's idea. But there's this evil day that surrounds us. And so he's saying, you need to really be careful how you walk, not as those who are unwise, but those who are wise, and buy up time because there's a clock ticking. There's a clock ticking. This evil day is passing away. How do you live as kingdom of light people in a dark world in such a way that light grows and Christ is honored as you wait for him to come and fix it all? Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a major earthquake, right? Um, Dave and I were out of town. We didn't get to feel it, but some of you probably had a yee-haw kind of ride, right? Whoa, what was going on there? The Pacific plate and the North American plate are trying to be in the same place at the same time, and that doesn't work so well, and so stuff happens, and that's the way you and I live. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of dark are trying to be in the same place at the same time, and we're on a fault line. And that requires us being very 
thoughtful and prayerful and spirit-led in what does it mean to live out the reality of who God's making me to be concretely in this circumstance and this one and this one and this one. How do I buy up the time and take full advantage of what's going on? How do I become who I'm supposed to become more fully as I cooperate with God? And how do I have the impact I'm supposed to have more fully as I cooperate with God in the midst of these dynamics? I've got a job to do, and there's a clock ticking. I need to be about my job. Do your job. Right? If you're a football fan, you know those words. They either make you excited or they make you sick, but that is the slogan of the most dominant football team that's ever been. And that's their whole philosophy. Do your job. You join the Patriots, that's the Patriot way. Do your job. What does that mean? That means if you focus on what you're supposed to do and you do it with excellence, good things will happen because the guy next to you is going to be focusing and the guy next to him is going to be focusing. Everyone's going to focus on doing their job and watch what happens. Just be faithful to that. And doing your job, by the way, also means adjusting as the world is shifting. So you might join our football team and you may have been a really good college quarterback and we're going to ask you to play slot receiver, a whole new position. Do your job. And then the season may be going on, and we actually don't, we're, we're, we're thick with receivers right now, and defense is weak, so now for this game, you're going to play defense, do your job. That's why they win so many Super Bowls, because they stick with that, and they make it work. Paul is, Paul is basically saying to us, be sensitive, buy up the time, there's a job that you have, walk wisely, do your job, you've got something assigned to you by God, be faithful at that. Right? You don't have to be this brilliant, amazing, heroic figure. Just buy up the time that's in front of you, walk with God, do your job, and good things will happen. Um, it, it, sometimes when we think about time and buying up time, we can get stressed. It's like, oh, I gotta keep after, I gotta move faster and faster and faster, and that's not a biblical picture. Scripture's more concerned with faithful than it is with fast. Okay? Being faithful to what God has called me to do, there's a cadence to my life, there's a rhythm that sometimes is very fast and sometimes it's very intense and sometimes it's withdrawn and slowed down. Having a a ticking clock is is not an invitation to panic and, and, and throw myself hard at something, it's an invitation to stay with it. Focus and keep doing what's next and what's next. And what's next? It says, buy up the time, the days are evil. So you stay with it. Don't get pulled off. Stay with it. A number of years ago, I was on staff at another church. I was the young assistant pastor just kind of learning the ropes, and a new senior pastor came in. And I was horrified when I heard him express his life philosophy at that moment, and I, you know, I don't want to judge his heart. He seemed like a nice guy, and um, he was a nice guy, but I'm still horrified by his life philosophy because he told me in confidence one day, it's okay now, but uh, he said to me, uh, I've already made my mark. It doesn't matter what happens here. This is like he comes into the church and two weeks into his new ministry, he says, I've already made my mark. It doesn't matter what happens here. No problem. And what was more uh, amazing to me was he was looking forward to retirement. That's what he was living for. 
He was particularly excited because he was Canadian-American, so he was going to have Canadian Social Security and American Social Security. He's like, this is going to be great. I get to go do that. And he was 48 years old. At 48 years old, he was ready to sit down and just see what happens. We live in a world that is a dark place, and we are light within that world, and we're called to buy up time. I don't have to rush around like crazy, but I have to stay with it. I have to keep doing my job, and keep doing my job, and keep doing my job. 48 is too early to quit. 78 is too early to quit. If I'm still breathing, 98 is too early to quit. The nature of what my job looks like will shift. But constantly being engaged with this sense of there's a big thing going on here. Do I have my personal clock set to kingdom savings time? My sense of priority, my sense of pacing, my sense of focus is on a kingdom time frame. That's what Paul is calling them to do. Don't have to be great just have to be faithful. The great ones aren't always the ones who actually make the biggest difference. If you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, everyone wants to be Gandalf, he's amazing, but it's the gardener who carried the day. And all he did was stay faithful and literally carried his friend across the finish line when his friend couldn't finish. And that's something, you know, any one of us can just be faithful and keep doing our job in light of the time, in light of the day. Um, you know, I've, I've wanted to be great at different times in my life. The longer I live, the more I realize, A, that just either happens or it doesn't. Faithfulness is where I need to focus. But B, that's really not, that's really not that important. Um, if I were to write my uh, obituary today, you know, ask me in a week and it might change. But right now, as I've been processing this, here's what I'd like people to say about me. He served well. He loved well. He was faithful to the end. And anything around him shifted towards Christ. I think that's my job. I think some form of that's your job too. Notice it doesn't have anything to do with whether you're a pastor or not. That's my platform. Your platform is different. But living to redeem the time in a dark world as people of light says, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep living. I'm going to let God make the difference in the world he wants to make through me. And I'm going to finish strong by his grace. He says, walk wisely. Make the best use of time may look a little different for you than for me. Mine is doing what I'm doing here. Thursday, we fly out of here, Davette and I, to Rwanda uh, to see our daughter, Amanda. So you can pray for us. I hate flying, um, not because I'm afraid of it, because it hurts. It's painful. It's small and cramped. But that's the only way to get there. It's too far to walk to Africa. Um, She's doing her job, best she knows how. She's serving in a um, Christian nonprofit, meeting needs, platform for the gospel. That's her job. On the way back, we're going to route through northern Africa, where we'll visit with Kyle and Melody Thibodeau, who are uh, 
co-laborers, missionaries from our family here. By the way, any of you that want to communicate with them, you're welcome to give a note to me or Davette in the next couple of days. We'd be happy to take that to them on your behalf. It's always encouraging. But we're going to spend a little time with them in their place of ministry and try to encourage them because they're working in a very hard setting trying to reach people for Jesus. That's their job. And they need to be about that until Jesus gives them something else. Your job's different. I don't know what that is. It may be you're a full-time parent. It may be you're a student. It may be you're retired. It may be you're a small business owner. It may be fill in the blank. Whatever that is, that is part of living out light in darkness. And part of your role with God is to figure out what does that look like so that doing this thing I'm buying up opportunity, I'm buying up time, I'm faithful to the end because I've got my internal clock set to kingdom savings time. And it's the kingdom that's gonna drive my schedule, it's gonna drive my passions, it's gonna drive my direction. And with the power of his spirit, when everything's said and done, he'll be able to say, well done, you did your job. That's what Paul's calling them to. Be careful, think about it. What does it look like in practical terms to walk wisely, buying up time? There's a clock that I need to set toward kingdom standard time. And then the other tool I brought up here is a compass. That needs to be set towards kingdom purposes. All right? Look in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. Sounds like it's repeating verse 15, but it's, it's expanding on it and focusing us in slightly different direction. They're very highly compatible and they uh, mutually build each other out, but he is giving some fresh stuff here. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to know God's will. If you're going to walk in a way that buys up time, if you're going to walk faithful to your calling, if you're going to walk in love, you have to know what God wants you to do, what God cares about, what God thinks about what he sees this world in terms of and what he has planned, right? What is God's will? Now, not really asking a really tight personal question like when I got up this morning and I chose to put on black socks. Uh, I didn't pray about that, but is it God's will that I wear black socks today or white socks or no socks? You know, sometimes, first off, we can sometimes get a little silly about things, but um, sometimes we need very personal and specific and even on the grand scheme of things, little things from God. And God will sometimes answer those questions for us. I'll point you back to the series on the Holy Spirit. We actually spent two weeks on knowing God's will, and you can look at that. This is, this is grabbing the bigger picture. It's saying, I want you to understand God's grand will, and then how you fit in that. Ephesians has actually already talked a fair amount about the will of God. If you want to turn back just to chapter 1 for a minute. Verse uh, four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. The will of God is this grand plan for all of time that involves choosing a people for himself and doing something fresh in this world. A few verses down. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In chapter five, it talks about know what God's will is. He's already talked about God's will in these grand terms. God has a plan in this world and things are changing. He's bringing the kingdom of light through his son that will ultimately overthrow all of reality and make it new. And he's begun right now by starting with a new people. You, me. And he's called us into this wonderful privilege, this wonderful opportunity, said I'll make you like my son and I will allow you to radiate my glory in such a way that the world sees and is changed. So in chapter five when he says, don't be foolish, understand God's will, he's calling me into the grand reality saying, order your life, set your compass, your life direction in a kingdom direction because that's what God's doing. Here's the big truth that we need to remember. I will never drift towards kingdom purposes. I have to set my course. That's what Paul is calling us to do. You're not gonna drift there. You gotta set your course. Walk wisely by, and walk carefully by knowing God's will. God's will is this grand plan for all of history and he's brought you into it. So, order your life around that. Let your life intentionally be um, partnered in this reality. Intentionally plug into what God's doing. Don't live life as a bystander. You're, you're supposed to be in the game. There's a lot of ways that unpacks. There's two, though, I want to highlight just briefly because he highlights them pretty extensively here in Ephesians. And if you're not sure where else to start, here's a good place to start. The first one has to do with love. He's calling you and me to live a lopsided life of love. The whole center section of the book, love, 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 chapter three, chapter four, all about Love, how we live in community, how we treat one another, how we build each other up, how we don't tear each other down, how we use our words for edification, how we ultimately, beginning of chapter five, walk in love. Having a kingdom compass in my life causes me to say, whatever else I do, let me just stop and ask this question of myself regularly, how's my love life? Okay, now, not the way people typically use that. We talked about that last week, right? How's my love life in the sense of caring for others? Because this people of God who are supposed to shine in this dark world, supposed to walk a different cadence, have to be grounded in love. And that's easy to get knocked out of us. And love is a lopsided thing. And I have to come to grips with that and be good with that and trust God, right? It's lopsided. It means I take more initiative and I pour more in than I look to get out. I don't know if you've noticed this. I'm sure you have. And if not, here's your opportunity. Just the next time you're in any group of people, stand back and observe and watch. People don't want to hear and help. They want to be heard and validated. And you can watch everyone else long enough and you can see that 
But it might be more instructive to evaluate your own heart when you're getting frustrated because nobody's listening to you, right? You are so selfish, you're driving me crazy because my selfishness can't express now. Because ah! I want to be heard and validated too, right? And, and I want to live that way. That's a very natural bent to life. And Ephesians is about flipping that over saying you're a new people in the power of the Spirit live a new life of love. And lovers are servants. Lovers live lopsided. Now there's a place for boundaries. That's important. But we cannot let our boundaries be established by a narcissistic society. Our boundaries are established by a crucified Savior. Those boundaries are going to look a little different. Now, here's one of my particular challenges, right? My, my particular wiring, I'm growing to learn, I have this tendency that I don't want to give you a hand because I'm afraid you're going to take my whole arm. Like, okay, you can have that. Let me help you there. And I'm afraid you're going to want to take my whole arm. Why? Because you're going to want to take my whole arm. Because it's lopsided and that's the way you are, but that's the way I am too. That's, that's why I want to do this instead, right? So, you're, so you don't take my whole arm, you don't get any of my hand. Somebody's got to break that cycle. And what I'm asking God to help me grow in is to willingly put my hand out there even if the arm gets pulled along with it and say, God, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'll look to set boundaries. But it's lopsided and that's just the way life is. Because I want to be one who loves. I want to be one who is thoughtful about what it means to have a kingdom-oriented life, understanding your will. You've just told me chapter, two chapters substantially saturated with this idea of loving and serving. You say, I'm supposed to be like Jesus. You can't even describe Jesus in any recognizable way without having redemptive servanthood at the middle. I guess that's got to be who I am. Help me grow in that. So how's your love life? He's saying, understand the will of the God. The will of God is love. Love. Sometimes tough love. Sometimes boundaries are part of love. Love doesn't compromise truth, but love is lopsided. Am I living lopsided? The other one I think is helpful to just draw out for a second here is I gotta learn to take a punch and stay standing. When I get back, we'll be in that section, chapter six, the armor of God. And here's the reality. If I live at the overlap of a dark world and the kingdom of light, there's gonna be that seismic rumbling going on. And there's gonna be intentional pushback, right? There's gonna be resistance. Life is not gonna go easy. If I follow a crucified savior, I shouldn't be surprised if there's a crucible in my life sometimes. It gets hard. What do I do when it gets hard? He's going to say, boy, you've got to be ready to stand in the evil day, and here's what you do. And we'll unpack that more in detail later. Right now, let me just raise the question, what do I do when things get hard? Do I duck and cover? Do I cut and run? Do I hit back? Because the scripture would say, when things get hard, eyes up. When things get hard, eyes up. Focus on God. Look to him. When you have a chance later today, maybe you should spend a few minutes just rereading Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
where it talks about Jesus facing the cross and how hard that's going to be, and who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. He looked beyond the hard to what was really going on. God does some of his best work when it's hard. Living with my life oriented towards the kingdom will take me through hard things. But I'm supposed to go through them, not stop and run, not sit down and hide. Newsflash, there's no way through life that's not going to be hard anyway. This hard at least has a purpose. It's going somewhere. But what do I do when it gets hard? He's telling them, you've got to understand God's will, and later on he's going to say, look, uh, don't, don't suit up unless you can take a punch because they're coming. You've got to learn to take that punch and still be standing. I'll help you with that. But you really gotta, you got to be ready because you've got to orient your life around the kingdom of God, and that means the other kingdoms are going to be swinging at you. Um, it was some time ago I was wrestling with this very issue. Things were really tough for me. And it's like, what do I do? And um, I was talking with somebody who was advising me, wise and necessary advising, and they were trying to help me sort this particular question. And they said, you know, um, you should really think about whether you're ready to keep going in your life the way that it is. Because I don't think you understand what the punch has done to you. And you better not just kind of glibly go on. You better be sure that's what you're supposed to do. And I don't think you should talk to your, I mean, you've got all your normal people you talk to, that's great, but you should really get somebody who's not vested in the details of your life right now, but who can understand and speak in wisely. So I went and talked to my spiritual director, who's somebody I meet with periodically to just kind of process spiritual things in life, and he's a voice from a different um, place in my life that's really helpful to me. And uh, normally he's pretty slow to just give answers. And I raised the question, you know, should I just kind of cut and run? And he barely let me finish the sentence. He said, no, why would you do that? That would be crazy. After you've paid such a price to be where you are. And all the good stuff that's about to happen. That God's ready to do and already beginning. Paul is, is saying, look, don't be foolish. Know what God's will is. That's how you're going to navigate this life. Stay on target with his will. By the way, his will is going to put you into conflict. You've got to be able to take a punch and keep going. Some of you may be in that place right now where you're wrestling with what you're willing to do to follow Jesus. And I don't have some pretty thing to say that you're going to want to put on a bumper sticker and stitch on a pillow or have a plaque. I'm not going to post it on your Facebook page and little flowers and butterflies around it. Sometimes we do have those things. But in this particular case, the truth is it may be hard and it may get harder. That's not really the question. The question is what's God's will? What does he have for me? Paul is saying, you got to be really smart how you walk in this world. Listen to the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That underpins everything. 
There's a time clock ticking. Keep doing your job and make sure you stay on target. There's a kingdom plan God's working out and he's invited you into it. And if that brings hard things, he'll give you the grace, but you gotta take the punch and stay standing. That's the way forward. And so if you find yourself in that place right now, may I just give you that maybe mixed emotional, but deeply practical encouragement. Don't cut and run. Maybe you need someone's support and help, someone praying for you, great. Stand up to what God has brought into your life and let him work. He does some of his best work when things get hardest. And how much we miss out on when we run from that. Paul says, things are changing, but it's not changed yet. Keep that in mind. Keep your direction, right? Set your clock to kingdom savings time. Set your compass to kingdom purposes. Be filled with the Spirit. That's how you walk wisely. That's how you navigate this challenge and the next one and the one after that. And God has every resource you need. Don't flinch. Let him give you the grace. How's your love life? How are you dealing with the hard things? Maybe you need some support, some encouragement, some help. There's a whole family around you. But together, we're supposed to be a different kind of people. And as we are, stuff changes. God does his best work. Lord, I pray that you would do your great work in us by your grace. Some of us may be wavering. Some of us may be wandering. Some of us may be weary. We all have the same need by your grace to line up with your will and do what's next. Some of us, things may be going great. We may just feel like it couldn't get any better. We want to praise you for that too and offer our lives to you in that moment of sunshine. Just work in us, Lord, things that are good for your purposes in us and through us in this world, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.